and Ed. Hello, I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And welcome to the Lack of Focus podcast. Um, I am Sean, your host, and with me tonight is our resident heretic, Ed. How are hey, you everyone? doing tonight, Ed? I'm fantastic. Sort of. I get an extra night, extra hour of sleep tonight, so where else better? what else better than that? For sure. Um, and with us also, as always, is our super game master, Chris. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Good, thanks, Sean. How are you? Doing good. Well, on tonight's show, we will be talking about board games and potentially card game and what they mean to us and, and a few other things that I'm going to throw in there for some some surprise uh, material but before we get to that um let's talk about what we've been doing in gaming the last uh two weeks ed i think we'll start with you tonight no i was afraid of that so i think i talked about uh two weeks ago i was starting on with a new junior developer which forced me to be into a position where my schedule was on site all the time every day that actually has been a a, a shift i it's interesting to me pre-covid um I was going to work every single day and it didn't necessarily bother me. And I can tell you having been spoiled the way that I have um, of three days a week, then you get an extra hour of sleep on at least two days a week. You don't have the commute. So you're really buying back like six hours a week by Thursday of these last two weeks. I've been feeling it. I have genuinely been feeling it. Um, so that problematically comes in with the, because of the drive and going to get back you know, from work and get up to get up to the game store, it just hasn't been possible. So I haven't been able to do any physical in-person gaming like I want to, although Gabriel has threatened he's off work tomorrow. So we might set up a table and get a game in because he's like, after doing the episode of Harry's cast, you know, just shameless plug, I'll toss that in there. He's like, we haven't played in too long. We need to get a game going. So I think we might set up the tables tomorrow and uh, get a game in just for just for shits and giggles um beyond that like i said i uh i tried i had a day set aside that i was going to do some painting on my sisters which unfortunately we had other events come up that prevented me from getting the time and i want we have kids that are a little bit behind on homework this whole cyber school from home thing has its pluses and minuses and one of the minuses is that they kind of still get a little bit of extra time like they have a due date on their homework but if they don't turn it in on time there isn't necessarily a penalty which i'm not necessarily sure i agree with so we had kids that got really really far behind on homework so i spent all weekend last weekend and most of this weekend playing catch up on a sign i'm the pretty sure we did a show previous to this we got it's the last time like ed just let him fail let him fuck it up i will never learn they'll I, never I, learn if you're like when you're 90 and like they've not paid the rent on time and they're going to get kicked out, but you're in the fucking home dying of dementia, like, do you want them to be able to make rent or, you know, I, I, I do. Ed, I let, do. Let them fail. I do. And you're probably right. Ultimately, and you maybe that might be the right answer. There's just really difficult for me to kind of like, I feel like I'm being an irresponsible parent if I'm not like getting on their case for getting their homework done. So, needless to say, we're all caught up. As of two hours ago, we are all caught up, which is fantastic, but it's burned a weekend and a half of my life to get us there. So uh, I did uh, play from beginning to end and into completion to finish my spooky holiday for, for Halloween, um, uh, Silent Hill 2. 
I got an itch and an urge to be like, oh, mostly due to the fact that Konami has finally gotten off of their ass and decided to do something, I don't know, profitable with one of their uh, properties that isn't a pachinko machine. Um, they announced uh, this past week that they are going to be doing a full remake of Silent Hill 2. Uh, updated graphics, you know, removing the tank controls, I hope. Uh, so that inspired me to like, oh, wow, it's been like a really, really long time since I played that game. So I fired that up. Um, that was really about it. Like, that's all, like, honest to God, like, legitimately, I come home from work. I've had dinner. I start helping with homework. It's eight o'clock. I'm exhausted. And then the last two weekends, a weekend and a half has just been working on homework. So I legitimately have not had any time to do anything other than I'm going to squeeze an hour or two in for this game or that game. That's it. Unfortunately, I wish it were more. I really do, but it just hasn't happened. Well, that's the point where adulting sucks sometimes. Oh, God. Oh, God, yes. Like, <laughs> Gamers and of... us want a game, and adult stuff gets in the way. Well, because there's there's legitimately... So um, my wife left her old job and started a new job. And it's interesting once you get into those grooves of because she works from home and because she's like she's able to wiggle around her schedule to be able to move things around like all oh, the kids got to go. Um, even though they are in cyber school, they do have in-person events that they do. So they've got these acting classes they've done. They've done these production classes where they're actually building sets for a play, all this other stuff the kids are doing. And she's been able to go and do all of that stuff. But with this new job that she started. She's still kind of in that honeymoon phase of like, I don't know what I can and can't quote unquote get away with. So she's playing it straight, like straight nine to five in front of her computer the whole time. So by the time, like, I would feel like a shit if I came home and like, all right, I'm going to eat dinner and leave. Have fun, honey. This is all on you. Um, th That I would feel bad doing that. So, yeah. Anyway, that's it. That's unfortunately all I've got. Totally un understood for sure. So oh, Chris, and I did. Uh, I did oh, do some, oh, oh, real quick. I did do some research. Uh, I now understand, Sean, what you were talking about before, when you wanted to get the revamped version of NCAA 14 on the Xbox 360. I did not realize how involved it is to jailbreak an Xbox 360. PS3 super easy. It's all software oriented. You can 100% crack the OS. Um, via uh, just a flash drive, a little flash drive, and a little bit of a little bit of effort and tweaking. Nothing you have to crack the case for, but you actually have to solder boards and reprogram chips on the motherboard in order to be able to do it on a 360. So I I did a, a, a about an hour's worth of investigation. Went, yeah, no, I'm not going to be doing that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I just went with the emulator on the PC. Yeah, you're better off. That's that was the fastest way to get. I mean, I own the game, so it's not like it's you know anything too bad but yeah i just i just went that route found found out how to do it and just downloaded everything that it, you know other people's work to, to the computer best idea i ever had i stole from someone else <laughs> <laughs> all right chris uh what have you been up to lately um i haven't i, I don't think i've played a game since we last last spoke i, I don't really? think i a game of anything yeah it's been been really weird. I've had to cancel my uh, my table booking the last couple of Saturdays. Uh, I'd lined up a game of Age of Sigma, and then I I had a big order to receive at work, so um, I just let my opponent play someone else. Um, I finally finished painting my entire um, like list that I'm running for Star Wars Legion at the moment, and then haven't been able to get a game of that in. Um, yeah, it's been been a little bit just 
like hectic. Uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff for like dice hate kind of things, getting uh, getting stuff in place. Hopefully to have um, some some more products to get ready. I don't like. I, said, I don't think I'm going to finish the uh, the online store before uh, before Christmas because I don't want to deal with it somehow being like the worst thing that would happen is I'd get it all done and then I'd get a billion orders before Christmas and then not have anything ready and just like no, I'm not doing no, it. No I'll wait until January. Yeah. Just yeah, I, but yeah, I don't know. I'm waffling there. Um, like. I did I play anything at all? And no, I literally I don't think I managed to get anything to the table. I played played X Wing last time. I think I told you I did. did I believe um, that is correct. I watched two two lots of people playing the Battle of Yavin, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, really excited for people to see that. Um, yeah, I, I saw got, people started getting that. Yeah, um, it was a. Uh, well, I think my, so. My name's in the credits for it, and it was a lot of work and a lot of um, heart and soul went into trying to make that scenario fun. So um, hopefully, it all works out, people, and um, I really, really hope everyone enjoys it because it's it's just fun. Just play, it. just play it in the uh, in the way it's intended. Like you just imagine that you're a child watching episode four, and just do all the cool things, and it'll work. I promise. But um, yeah, um, that's all I've done. I've watched it, people it enjoy like Battle fun. of Yavin. Like you, you've got Vader and his two wingmates, and they've got a condition. Uh, I, I'll, I'll ha- I have you now, which means you just get to deploy you on the table at range three from someone, and then you get Ooh. to do the moves. So like, you, you hold Vader, Mauler, and Backstabber off the table, and then once someone's in the trench, you come and you, you get them, and then but you also have Han, who has a Yahoo condition, so he can drop on the table. And then if you use all of his stuff, you can like spunk all of his things. So you get to Yahoo behind Vader, um, get the re-rolls, get the focus evade from Chewie, uh, have a fully modded shot, and then spend the rest of his charges so he's got absolutely nothing left to coordinate so Luke can get like a boost or a focus in the trench. Like you're all clear, kid. And yeah, it's it's just it's good. It sounds love, good. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of not talking about that for a long time has been fun. So I'm really excited for people to see it now. To make it a for your name is actually in the book, correct? Yeah, that's the only reason I can. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember those days long ago. Yeah. Um. Then I've been... So the random not Dice Hate stuff that I've done uh, is I've built an Orc model because... Now that it's November and I've missed October, I'm trying to get caught up because I'm good. I wasn't really enjoying the one-dimensional playstyle of the um, the demons, and especially because I've got them in like all four of the different GW games you can play with them. But then I remembered as I was moving all of the models around in the miniatures cabinets at the store, I was like, oh shit, I've got like an orc armor here. Because I've got 20 beast snagger orcs, um, the knob on Smasher Squig, and a unit of 10 grots. I'm like, oh, this is nearly 25 points. So I, I've just been building a, a war boss to lead that. Um, and I um, was researching online of a way of trying to smooth out, you know, like the, the little gaps on the kits when you're putting the models together. 
So apparently, like chopping up the sprue really small and then dropping it in the plastic glue. So you you basically you make sprue goo. Oh, uh, oh, 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 yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. where you were going with that. Yes, I've and you so, use it for a gap filler, and it's still yeah. technically GW plastic. Yeah, so I'm kind of messing around trying to see if that'll work. Uh, but uh, I, the model, it could be done. I don't know. It's in the it's in the furnace room behind the camera that the people can't see anyway. And um, I've not had a chance to look because I've just been busy like shooting lasers at things, shooting UV light at other things, and messing around with um, a three D printer. That's the only one that de defeated me today. Yeah. Um, the the 3D printer was working perfectly with PLA uh, as the material because that's what they sent me with it. But I'd ordered like PEGT or some some other yeah. material which um, has different it's qualities. Been, which yeah, I was just say yeah. it's a little different quality. Um, what um, the first stuff you talked about is like just pure plastic, you know. It's just yeah. a big string of plastic. The other one has other chemicals in it and stuff. Yeah, but um, so I, I swapped out the build plate to be the textured one because it's supposed to be the better one to use for it. Uh, and then I've not been able to get a print to work. It, I've been like messing around for weeks and weeks trying to get it to go, um, and like recalibrating it, taking parts off and putting them back on because I to get it to to come out so it looks smooth and everything, and doing the test print and doing the, the Z calibration and all of this mm. shit, and it like it, it looks perfect. Then I'll go and send it to do a print, and I'll watch it. And it looks like it's fine. And I'll walk away, and I'll come back, and it's just a giant globule of this fucking material stuck to my print head. I'm like, you motherfucker! So I've got to scrape it all off, throw it away. Yep, and so over. today, I was like, you know what? I was just sat watching it, and I just went on my phone and ordered PLA again. I'm like, fuck it, fuck you, fuck you, printer. I'm going back to PLA. I don't care if this shit's better. It's not better if it doesn't fucking work. <laughs> so that was my day today um but i mean the resin printer's working fine but the, the replacement laser arrived and i've got that set up and it's i don't know the house could be on fire upstairs and i've not found out yet but like it seems to be fine the uv printer's running now um that was the uh, trials and tribulations of um not speaking chinese you know I, I blame myself. If I was me, more multicultural, I would have um, me too. been all over it. Yeah. You know, just... It's just, a uh, line. Yeah, you know, get it, you know, get Babel going and, you know, you'll learn the language really quick. But it, so the they sent you me like a USB stick with a bunch of instructional videos on it and I'm like, I'm watching them and I can kind of figure out what the caption's trying to tell me to do. But then the videos for an A3 UV printer, and I've got the A4, and then the first batch of printing, and it print. I put my A4 piece of paper and taped it down. That like legal for all you North Americans, fuckers. <laughs> um, it's not legal size paper at all. A4 is the correct size of paper. Um, but trying to print it, and then it's reversed. So the on the because it's a flat bed, the bed, the, the far left corner of the bed, um, on my printer was the was printing like the image was printing in orientated that way, whereas in on the video, it was printing on the front right. 
So I'm like, oh. so now I'm trying to like figure out, okay, what do I need to swap around on this image to make it all work? And I printed a bunch of shit actually on my printer because it's a flatbed that moves. So once the paper wasn't there, it just carried on printing on the bed. It, I'm like, you fucker. It, it did what you told it to do. Yeah, the, the computer did what I told it to do. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I suppose this is what happens when you spend $4,000 or whatever. It, I hope it was more than $4,000. I don't even want to check anymore. Um, <laughs> instead of <laughs> spending like... like from uh, to get a printer from China instead of spending twelve thousand dollars to get one from the U.S. So, you know, right. mistakes were made. I don't know. Well, one, um, you know, once once the business is up and running, that's when you upgrade, and yeah. you know, and then you're, you uh, know. So the the other fun thing about this one, which um, I didn't know until it arrived, and I was reading the handling instructions, is that it needs to be run once every three days. That because of the, the ink. Yeah, the ink that this one uses, if I don't run it once every three days as part, part of a maintenance, I'm like, oh, well, I mean, theoretically, if I'm busy and fulfilling orders, that shouldn't be a problem, should it? Shouldn't. But yeah, I, I didn't want to well, go on holiday ever again anyway. It's fine. Ever, ever. Why would you? But yeah, today um, it came with an A4 sized sheet of magnetic um, paper. So I finally printed my scale calibration onto that because you, you basically you there's no like camera in it. So to line everything up, you print out the a scale and then you measure on the scale where you're putting the thing you want to print onto, and then on your software you orientate it from uh, it's two centimeters to the left and four centimeters down is where that corner is. And it's this big, so if I want it in the middle, you've got to do the math and work out where it's going to print the image. So I've printed the scale now, so I, I have it fixed all the time, ready to go. So I did like a couple of previous attempts where it, the first like two millimeters had dropped off the edge, so weren't there. So um, I ordered a bunch of acrylic. So uh, I'm going to try to print some, I'm going to try and cut some X-Wing templates and then I'm going to try and print a logo over the top of them and see how that goes next. That's my next job. Judging from the, the test stuff that looks like you printed, it looks like those are going to look really cool if you can get it to work. Yeah, the only thing that I have to do is I have to cut the templates first and then leave them in like the frame to line it all up and then print over that. Oh. So, because obviously, if I, I'm worried if I print the image first and then cut, that the laser will just burn off some of the image and it'll affect the quality of the image. Yeah, no, you're probably right there. So, I mean, there's there's a couple of you know fine tuning bits still to go. But like, I think I was saying offer. I'm trying to. I'm not worried about getting anything into the online store until after Christmas. I've got a few things going. Like I'm printing. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm cutting um, Dungeons and Dragons um, condition token rings at a minute to drop over your miniatures. So you can tell uh, if someone's paralyzed or poisoned a condition ring. Oh, oh like, that's cool. Yeah, I can sell those in the store. Um, so I can just like instant return on that investment. But stuff that I. Saying? Wouldn't mind seeing condition tokens for 40k. Like, oh, this one's getting a plus one to hit. This one's getting a plus one, you know, minus one to minus one to hit. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing those. 
yeah, well, we'll see. Um, like there's a different ways of doing stuff as well. It's like, um, do I want to do just etched ones and keep it simple, or do I want to print them over the top after the cut? And yeah, there's a bunch of stuff to not be worried or concerned about, kind of thing. But you know, just kind of getting it all on the go. Yeah, I think but a yeah, lot no. of it isn't a lot of it though. Like getting all the setup, you know, in the in the software. So once you have everything you know, set up and measured, then it's just, you know, then you're just printing on material at that point. I think so. my expectation is that I'll get better. Uh, if I yeah. don't, that feels like a me problem. Like, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. You'd think I'd be better at podcasting and uh, my editing and doing all of that stuff after like seven years or however long it feels like it's been. But nah. <laughs> I feel like it's been a lot longer. <laughs> 2015? Is that seven years we've been doing this shit? Oh my god. Oh no. No, no, no. It's before that. Huh? It was... Wasn't 14 when uh, Nova went live? Maybe. Maybe it's longer. Oh, I don't know. Because that would have been the year that I did uh, Gen Con for FFG and Worlds for FFG. And you would have been... We'd have talked about that on the show. Yeah, that was, that was 14. So... Game started not... in 12. Yeah. Oh, God, we're so much older. <laughs> oh, well, an extra year. What's an extra yeah. year between friends? Right, that's right. right. That's right. Oh, no, but yeah, that's be... me. No, right. no gaming, so. Oddly enough, I'm actually going to carry the show, which is insane. Yeah. So, uh, for me, um, so every, every Wednesday I have a game group that uh, we had been doing stuff online in the beginning we were doing like uh terraforming mars and lords of Waterdeep on steam games like that and then we found project zomboid and and that pretty much took over for many months and and we decided to start going back to you know in-person gaming and stuff and um, two of the guys couldn't make it so i went over to uh, my friend Chris's house um, and played Settlers of Catan, two games of that. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's an oldie buddy goodie. Oh, yeah. Well, you can never never really go wrong with Settlers. Um, and the way we played it, so a long time ago, I had played a variation of it where you turn all the tiles face down. And oh, I think you, you mentioned this before, yeah. And then you pick your starting spots from there, totally blind. You don't know what anything is. Just numbers. That's all. You're you're playing off the numbers, not the tiles. And uh, and so for our second game, we did that. And so I won the first game pretty pretty handily. Um, I think I think Chris came in second. Steph was third. And then we did the we did the flipped tiles. And then when everything flipped up, uh, there was no way in the world that Chris was going to win. He was in just not even close to trees or or, or the the forests are clay, so basically he was stuck and you know was doing the trading game. He had all the stone, I had like oddball stuff, and then Stephanie had all the good stuff. So she basically kicked the living crap out of us in the second game, which was you know, I mean, I, I think most settlers games I've ever played just has somebody running away with the game. And then for the second game, the second game that we played played a game that I'd never heard of, never seen, but it was called the Magic Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Ooh. 
So this is a game where it's it's kind of kind of an interesting concept for a game. But what it is is it's two layers. So there's two layers of the game. There's the bottom layer is everybody gets so many of these little wall pieces and then you put the walls down on the board. And then you put the gameplay piece on the top of it and then you spin the board so that you nobody will know where the walls were that you placed. And then you have a little figure that's magnetic and a little ball that plays underneath the playing field. And then you have to move your piece. You draw chits, which have symbols on the board, and you have to try to move your piece to the symbol on the board. And if it gets knocked off, so as you're going, let's say it's a, a, a D6 die, but it's not, I don't think it's a D6. I think it's a two through four with multiples of, of some numbers. I don't remember exactly. Maybe one through four with mul- with you know two multiples of like two and three on it. And then you roll the die and that's how many movement points you get. And then you try to move on the top board and not knock your ball off of your magnetic piece. Because if you do, then you have to start over from the corner you start at. So it's actually, in if you guys look it up, it's a really cool, it's a kid's game. You know, they, they said that it was a, a very much a kid's game, but it would definitely be pretty cutthroat because there's two levels. There's, there's two levels of the game. One is the easy level, which you place like 18 or 19 of the walls. And then the hard one is you place 23. And so your pathways start to get really narrow and things like that. And it's also a game of memory because you have to remember as you're trying to move along the board, how to like what the pattern was that got you places on the board before when you were going after different symbols. And um, it's one to look up, you know, it's, I don't know who makes it. I, I've never, never even heard of it before, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and Steph basically beat the crap out of us in that game too. So, um, so that was kind of my board gaming for the week. Um, the week before in between shows, we did not have our game group that week. So, and then last weekend I finished assembling the arcade machines in the basement. So the arcade is now set, although I may move Ooh. one machine. I may, I'm going to take a video of it here pretty soon, but I may move one machine to make a little more room for one of the other machines. Um, so we'll see about that. But so I, you know, finishing the arcade as far as getting the machines built was like a sigh of relief. So I went down and I played, uh, played some time pilot. Cause you know, got to play the favorite game. Of course. And, and then I played some pinball down there. Um, I don't really remember which board I, I played some natural history. It's, uh, uh, from at game. It's on the at games legend pinball, the full size machine. And, um, one of them I played was a game called exoplanets, you know, and, if you've never played digital pinball, it's kind of hard to visualize, but basically you're playing pinball and it's kind of like a video game board, you know, as you're doing it, but it looks like real pinball. Um, and I was playing that for a little bit and then I played some Cabal, which is a TAD game from, I think like 89 or 90, um, which is just a shooter. It's a different type of shooter game. It's kind of a, I don't know. It's a joystick shooter game. You can also, I think, play it with the trackball. Um, so I got some of that game in. And then 
I actually sat down and started planning for my Astra Militarum army. Mm. Um, I figured out what everything that I have right now. And then when the new box set comes out, the probably $200 box set comes out, um, then I'll add what that is into it. I, um, I just know I have a lot of shock troopers, you know, cause they're your, they're your throwaway troops with the Astra Militarum. And I'm actually starting to learn more about them and how they play and the game and, and I'll, you know, how to play the game with them. And then, uh, once I get my dining room done, then I'll start assembling them and my son and I will probably get some games in, but I really like the, the vehicles, the tanks and the, their version of the Valkyrie and their rocket launcher and all of that type of stuff. You're going to, you're going to like, there's a lot of models involved. If you, depending which way you go, because you can go IG very tank heavy, or you mm-hmm. can do it very infantry heavy and just be careful on your back. Uh, if you go the infantry uh, level variety, because there is a lot of models in that army. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll probably try to 50, 50 at the start as close as I can get to it. Cause you know, the other thing is like the heavy weapons teams and stuff that'll take up some serious points. So they're, they won't move very much. They'll just, you know, throw mortars, machine guns and lasers and whatever last else. Cannon. Yeah. The last cannon and stuff um, across the, across the table. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, other than that, I don't think I've really done much. Um, it was just, you know, kind of nice to get out and go play real you know, board games, you know, with other people. Um, I think that that's, you know, the best way to play board games, in my opinion, or card games or, or whatever you're playing. So I a hundred percent agree. Yep. So that's pretty much, uh, pretty much what I have been doing. Um, anybody have anything else they want to throw out there before we move on to the main topic? No, I think I'm pretty good. Nothing, uh, nothing pressing. I don't think. Um, I, I suppose um, I could talk about the Legion podcast I did as well. We have a, a ooh, Legion podcast ooh. in the umbrella now. Uh, we nice. uh, did episode zero of Deploy the Garrison. Um, it was myself with Alan, uh, who played D&D with us, oh, and Zach Matthews. Alan. Yeah, you should play Legion, then you could listen to us talking about it. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, we were um, chatting and we, so we launched a Legion podcast, maybe. Um, so we did episode zero, and that's all. You, you've seen it on the feed if you are subscribed, because they obviously everything goes on a Dice 8 feed anyway. Um, well, I've not made it its own little home on the website yet. I need to um, see how we how we go, get a couple more episodes knocked out. On, and then... I hate to interrupt. Is it on Spotify? Should be, yeah. If you search for Dice 8 on, on Spotify, you should get all of the uh, the different um, podcasts that I do. There it is. Yeah. I don't know why I wasn't followed on Spotify. Because you hate me. That's not it. I was watching. I was listening on other ones, and I was either downloading them or listening to the website, but now that I'm doing as much driving as I'm doing at home, I'm burning through my books pretty fast, and I've been like reducing down to, like, okay, what, what podcasts haven't I listened to? Like, well, oh, hell, there they are. Look at that. All the shows. Yeah. Well, I finally, speaking of audiobooks, I finally put Descent of Angels behind me. Ooh, um, that's so I, I'm on to Legion now. How did you I feel just, about 
I I didn't like it anyway. I've I read it when it came out. I I've listened to it probably on the Black Library app that they used to have, and then I downloaded it again on audio Audible, and I just I'm glad it's done. <laughs> I I it's a really good um like coming of age fantasy novel. Yeah, but that happens to accidentally be set in the 40k universe for some reason. Get wrecked. But, <laughs> yeah, it, it's very strange. It would probably have been better as one of the Primark novels that that they didn't exist when it was written. But yeah. it's fine. But yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm onto Legion now, which also... I remember when I read Legion that it I felt like it dragged. So it'll be interesting to see how listening to it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, but you know, everyone loves Alpharius, so I'm sure it'll be fine. Or Omegon. Which one is it? It's Alpharius. It, it, everyone tells you it's always Alpharius. But I'm Alpharius, and you're Alpharius. We're all Alpharius. No, I'm Alpharius. We someday, are you'll, someday you'll get that joke, Sean. We're getting there. Someday, maybe soon. All right, here, I'll, 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 spl- I'll, I'll, I'll splash a little bit of 40k knowledge on you. Uh, Alpharius and Omega are the only Primarchs that when the, they were scattered out into the galaxy, um, they split into two twins. We were so, already twins before it talked were they? about it. And, um, oh, I thought there was contention on that, but okay. Either way. Um, no, the, in the cylinder, I'm pretty sure Horus talks about there being two um, souls in there or something. I can't remember exactly. I thought they were half souls. I thought they were half of a like the the two halves yeah. made one. Yeah, well, yeah. But it, it, they're definitely in the um under underneath the Alps in the laboratory. Um, okay, they're already True. split. However, we're not entirely certain. One of them is dead, but be, the the two of them would switch. First of so all, every every we single are, we are every... sure. So I I understand why, but uh, it. The part of the book where Omegon takes on the mantle of Alpharius is written from Omegon's perspective. So we know that Alpharius is dead. Games Workshop has always used that unreliable narrator trope multiple yeah, but times. When the, when the narrator is Omegon saying, my brother's dead. <laughs> I'm just saying there is some contention as to which one of them is dead and which one of them is still around. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. That's also oh. the that's also the legion that they're not entirely certain that they all fell to chaos. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, like some other darkish, angelly like uh, legion that may or may not have fallen to chaos. Traitors. Not the space wolves. I'm just saying there's one there's one legion with a dark secret that they're hiding, but seem pretty yeah, odd. Spa- like- the space wolves and the wolfen. I agree. Or the Blood Angels and the Black Rage, or we can start going down the list. Yeah. Anyway, that's 40k knowledge. Tune into Heresy Cast to hear more of that fun stuff. <laughs> From a certain point of view. From a certain point of view. I have been told by my illustrious editor and producer that I apparently have a very different skew on how I view Imperial history. I'm not sure how mine is skewed. I have good arguments. Uh, it's almost like primarily you were like a Xenos Space player. Wolf Chaos player who also plays Tyranids and Necrons. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And maybe my point of view is a little different. <laughs> maybe. 
I can accept like, that. I can accept that. It's just interesting. There's nothing wrong with it. I, I do like the olden days where all of the novels were written from me. Sorry, not when all the codexes were written from the imperial perspective. So when it was, it was like the Tyranid Codex was like imperial scientists talking about Tyranids rather than it yes. being the Tyranid view on it. So yeah, I don't know. I agree, but alas, at least we got one or two good books out of the Necron point of view. Just throw that out there. Yeah, and then so you can always just uh, trust everything that you read in the Imperial Inf Infantryman's Uplifting Primer. <laughs> Absolutely. Orc, orc orcs look like they have bigger muscles because they're less dense. Obviously, they, Obviously. The, orc form, the orc form cannot compete with the purity of the human genome, your faith in the Emperor will see you through. Now, like, dispatch the vile Xenos. Obviously. The, the, all right, Sean, this is an actual printed book. You can find it online. Games Workshop absolutely printed this out and printed it like you would a standard field manual from the, mil from the U.S. military. And it reads, it's not a rule book, it's not a fluff book, it reads exactly like a field manual would read. Except it's full with gross inaccuracies because it's mostly propaganda. <laughs> we'll do an episode. We'll do an episode of the Heresy Cast on all of the fun stuff that is in the the uplifting primer. It's fantastic. There you go. And they added in a Damocles Gulf edition once they uh, added toe stuff in there as well. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time so, since I've seen that. There's like a bunch of different versions of it now. But... The the original one didn't have any real Toe stuff in it because Toe didn't really exist when it was written. So I used to have all of the uh, all of the Black Library stuff. So I used to have the uh, the Ardor Xenos manual that was in like crude skin, like bound in crude skin and everything. Um, and then uh, a good one is if you can find Imperial Armor. Um, I think it's Volume Seven. I think the Amphelion Project. Yeah, that is, that's a really good one. Um, yeah, lots of cool uh, books along that vein. Oh, I suppose the other thing that happened is um, the my my order for, that my dad picked up for me from the UK finally arrived, uh, which was the, uh, the Imperial Knight, the Imperial Knight Armages, and the Imperial Knight Data Cards. Which Ooh. added up to the exact amount of money I needed to spend to get all of the store birthday gifts. Hmm. And it was like the, the least number of items that would pack into a smaller box that would then get me all of the stuff. Um, and I was like, it's all right, I'll just be able to return them when it turns up anyway. And then, um, yeah, couldn't return it because the, uh, the Imperial Knight is the old edition now because my dad sent took that long send it out so looks uh, like i'm gonna be playing imperial knights as well it's a cool army i i struggle yeah, i i i accept that but not when you're playing 25 power level or no. 50 power level like, no they definitely uh, excel when you get into larger games simply because of the model count yeah like i can take three armage pardon me three armages in uh 25 points and then i think i can take um one normal knight and three armages in a 50 but yeah like one model is 22 power done finished yep 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 
and your troop choices are wait how much are the armatures uh eight okay yeah so there's like <laughs> yeah yeah I, so I, when... I don't have troop choices ed i have a lot of war choices oh that's, that's true that's... wait don't the armatures and maybe it's maybe no. it's because no. they are all lords of war yeah that's why i was complaining at you in the heresy cast chat remember Oh, I remember because now. there's no, yeah, nothing tells you how to make a list because so you take the um, supreme whatever detachment that lets you field, uh, the one that gives you like uh, up to six lords of war. Oh yeah, 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 and, yeah. And then if you take that and uh, all um, imperial knights, then one of your knights gains the character keyword. So that's how you get a warlord. Yep, that's how you end up with them. Yeah, but yeah, there's no troop choices. I have, I'm going to make this argument a lot when it comes down to 40k stuff. They don't play on the table like I feel like they do in the fluff. Because like an Imperial Knight is a gigantic machine of war. Like I would anticipate like 40 guns coming off of the thing, that gigantic chainsaw that just mows down tanks and they i don't feel like they play that way on the table in editions past they would have had things like void shields for example which is no yeah i think you're thinking of warlords more than knights knights have only ever had ion shields and okay maybe you're right maybe yeah. you're right well because like even, like, even like the yeah the warhound titan didn't have void shields now that you now that you've said that out loud yeah, but um, yeah. it used it used to when it came out. It had two voids that were armor twelve, and then it you know once you take the voids down, it goes to its armor fourteen. Right. Is how it used to work. I don't know how it works now. Like, whatever. I haven't seen one on the table in a really, really, really long time. I, I that 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 is my like um. What's the word I'm looking for? It's not Holy Grail. Holy Grail is not the right word because they are well, easy. What to you find. should do is you go, you start playing Heresy, um, and then you just buy a Warlord Titan and you have your three thousand point Heresy army. Yeah, Come it also me, costs you three thousand dollars. Yes, that's the downside. And and hours and hours in. Oh, uh, boiling, speaking of speaking water. of school, Ed. Speaking of schooling and all of that. You need to talk to Gabe about some simple mathematics oh? because uh, I'm listening while I'm editing. It's like, oh, uh, it, it was a joke that it costs you forty thousand dollars to play Warhammer forty k. It's like, okay, yeah, it's a it's all right joke. And then he moves on. It's like, yeah, so it's like three to five hundred dollars. I'm like, whoa, dude, like, <laughs> it's a huge disparity yeah. there. Yeah, well, it's think... like. It, it, it's not that much, but it's close. And then it's like five hundred. So if you think five hundred is close to forty thousand, like you can come and do my bookkeeping. I because... think, I think the point he was trying to reach is it, it is expensive, but not that <laughs> expensive. I think was the point that he was trying to reach. I know, but he's not here to defend himself, so you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, Sean. Well, let's let's do this. Right. Well, moving on to the main topic. Uh, the main topic tonight is is kind of a little uh, softball to begin with, and then we'll uh, we'll throw some little bit of a uh, wrench into the works. But uh, tonight's topic is about board games and and certain types of card games that could fall maybe closer to that category. Um, but board games that you like, the type of board games that you play, and maybe talking about some you know like 
different genre of board games. Um, but to start it off, um, one of the things, like types of games that I like are the Euro style, um, you know, where it's really, where there's a lot of strategy involved, but it's it's the uh, resource management Euro style, which I think is is my favorite style to play of newer types of games. Um, Why don't you give give an example, Sean, of what what kind of game you think fits that category? Oh, so what, game, name a, name a game that would sorry, not what type. So so a game is Power Grid. Yeah. Um, you know, which is a game that you're you're buying resources to you know power cities, um, and it kind of has a path that you're following where you start out with you know coal and oil and gas, and then as time goes on, you're trying to work your way off of that and into more of a um, green energy, you know, like solar, like uh, windmills, things like that, that allow you to power cities. And, you know, it's, it's a game that, um, you know, the, the map board is designed so that it can fit, I think it's two to five players, um, which is a lot of the, you know, if you have two players, you're playing in a certain section. If you have three, you're playing in two and so on. So there's some expandability. But one thing I like about it, though, is, and with Euros in general, and, and the resource management Euros in general, are that really no two games can be alike just because of the way games play. Another game is Puerto Rico. If you've ever played Puerto Rico, it's another resource management game where you're selling goods um, different things like that. I haven't played that one for a while. It's hard to get a group to play that. Um, but games, you know, games like that that are um, a lot more strategy driven and trying to, you know, trying to outthink your your opponents, things like that. Those are the types of games that I like for the newer style games. Um, and then, of course, you know, when you get into older games, I grew up in a little bit of a different time so you know like the dark tower game you know which is one i've talked about before um you know and they they came out with return to dark tower which i just purchased everything for it they did a reprint on it and so i'm getting everything for that um you know then you know then there's the monolith games when you're getting into games and you have like oh. the world of, the world of warcraft type games the twilight struggle games yeah, uh, Twilight Imperium. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got three weekends to set aside to play a game. There you go, Twilight Imperium. Yeah, and you know when you really get into that, you're looking at war games where you start with the more beer and pretzely long games like Axis and Allies. I was and wondering then, if you were going to get that go down that route or not. Yeah, and then you know you get into you know old old uh, you know games that were '80s '90s games. Um, you know, that were either the pen and paper, kind of like the um, uh, can't the Starfleet Battles, you know, a game like that way back when, where it's, you know, a bazillion input. The game just takes forever to play. Um, advanced Squad Leader, um, you know, just games like that. So th that's kind of where, where I like games, but I actually just kind of like all kinds of games, really. Uh, but I'm going to throw it over to you guys and see what you have to say about games and and uh you know what what game types of games that you like so ed we'll start with you 
So for me, all right. So I have a a, a a bit of a history when it comes to certain board games. You named a couple right off the top of the head. Like uh, one of my favorites um, was Risk growing up as a kid and Axis and Allies. The catch for that is it depends on the group and the amount of time that you have. Because legitimately, I could sit down and play Risk for hours. But honestly, like if you have a couple of good players in the game, you can probably get through a game of Risk in about 25, you know, two hours tops. Um, But what I have gravitated towards more in my older years are the co-op games. I do like the strategy games. I really do. I genuinely could like, I've only ever gotten to play one. I've always wanted to play um, uh, Twilight Imperium, but every single time I, it's this, I made the joke while we were talking about it. Hey, do you have three weekends to set aside to play this game? Finding people that are willing to put that amount of time into a game is genuinely really difficult. So for me, I try to gravitate towards games that are able to be completed in a night or maybe a couple of games in a night. Um, Like I have a copy of Gloomhaven here and I would love to sit down and play that. But my understanding is the campaign in that is like 120 hours to get through. So that's not a that's not an evening of board gaming that 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 is uh set it up stays table stays there and we come back to it multiple times over time another good one with 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 gloomhaven real real quick you could actually do it because gloomhaven is scenario driven so within that campaign you play scenarios in it and then sure you know so a game in my opinion a, a scenario or whatever you want to call it is about two hours and then you take everything down and you're good. It's kind of like playing Descent and all those okay, types of games. Okay, all right. Well, then I, I miss, I misunderstood that one. Then I guess maybe I would have to break that out. Because the game that I was going to go back to is a game like Pandemic, for example. So like that one there, you can kind of sit down about, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, depending how long it is. It's a good, fun, cooperative game. And it's it, it, it's able to be digested in a single evening as opposed to multiple evenings of multiple times kind of thing. No, yeah, for sure, and and that's when you could actually have you know people in your game group come and go because sure, of the way sure. like a Gloomhaven is played or Pandemic. You know, if you're doing Pandemic Legacy, same thing. You know, they'll just miss bits and pieces of it, but you could rotate your game groups in games like that. Now, you had mentioned card games, so I'm kind of curious as to where you put like those the that um the what am i thinking the upper deck games like the alien oh give me a second the legendary encounters games um that i wouldn't necessarily call it's not like a magic the gathering deck building game it's a group deck building game as the game progresses through the game yeah it's like live deck building you know right exactly you build it as you're playing the game kind of thing and depending on your actions in the game and depending on what you do in the game and how well you perform in the game you add cards to your deck you remove cards from your deck kind of thing but that was a ton of fun, too. And that's another one of those cooperative games that I genuinely, truly enjoyed and had a ton of fun with. So it, I wouldn't call that necessarily a board game per se, because it is all on cards. I mean, there is a quote unquote paper board as you progress through the game, but that's not really a board. It's mostly done in the cards. So those are some of the games. Like, And then, of course, I'm always going to go back to like HeroQuest, in my opinion, is arguably one of the best games that I ever I I have I have thousands of hours of of 
fond memory of playing Hero Quest. Yeah, for some reason that that's uh, it's weirdly that's one of the ones I missed out on. You know, really? Yeah, I mean, oh, I played it. I I played it later in life, but I didn't play it. You know, back when it first came out, and those you know, and during that time. It's a shame. Like, so one of the other ones I was going to toss out there, just uh, just kind of like shotgun blast. I've never had a chance to play one of these, so I have no personal experience with them. I've had friends that have played them and enjoyed them, but the Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons board games, the like D&D light games, very similar, I guess, to the way that Gloomhaven is done in, in the way that they are done in scenario based. And you kind of play them over the course of a couple of nights, Castle Ravenloft being one of them that I have had my eye on for several years that I'd like to try. It looks cool, but since I don't have any experience, I can't really talk to it. But again, I, I'm obviously like leaning into the the cooperative gameplay where everyone, like, don't get me wrong, I, I, I love kicking the crap out of my opponent beside you, but there's something about getting a group of people together and kind of all going on the same side and all fighting the same type of foe that just kind of is just a ton of fun for me. Yeah, the, the D&D games are subject matter driven. You know, it's it's the, you have a dro, you know, you have an under, or a Drizzt version, you have the Ravenloft version. Um, what's the other one, Chris? It's the Desert Storm version. Thunder, I think. No, I think there's yeah. um, Storm King's Thunder one, but I can't remember. Yeah, I'd have to, I don't think I can see them from where I'm sitting, but because I have three of the four, I think, of those games. And, you know, it's so, you know, when you talk about the your legendary games, you know, those are that's interesting because there's so many of those deck builders. You know, you have Dominion, oh. you know, Ascension, you have, you know, all the legendary models, you have a lot of one off stuff that they've kickstarted, things like that. Um I, I really I, I really think those games are great, like you said, in the right setting though, you know, because there's a lot of mechanics in those types of games that either do or, you know, either they're cooperative or they're everybody's against each other, you know, and a lot of them might have, or some of them might have like people you're fighting, things like that. And, um, you know, fantasy flight has the living card games and, you know, that I think represent to a point, you know, that type of game, but not, not fully, you know, they are deck builders, but you come in with a deck. I don't know about, I haven't played it yet. But like the Arkham Horror game, Chris plays and stuff. Yeah, I was gonna. You know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping he dives into some of that a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just think that there, there's just a lot out there. But Chris, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Um, I I played like I started off playing like we played Monopoly when I was a kid and the Game of Life and all of those like Milton Bradley kind of games. Different ladders for the um, for the win. Yeah, and then. Right. Um, played a decent chunk of Hero Quest um, as like a, a tween and like kind of getting towards early teens. Uh, then kind of drifted out, picked up a little bit of magic. Um, didn't really get deep into that. And like 40k fantasy was all at the same time. And then kind of went away from board games until probably my mid. Uh, uh, yeah, like. Early to mid twenties. Uh, then we it was like FFG doing Arkham Horror, um, Chaos in the Old World. So a lot of the like US style games as opposed to Sean's Euro kind of games. Um, and I find that for a US uh like an American style game, it generally it's more theme driven than it is mechanics driven. 
Um, yeah, it's probably a good evaluation. And I, I've been a big fan of like that style of gaming, and like the rules might not be as tight, but everyone's generally like quite cooperative kind of games, or or like there's also always a social aspect to it, and we always really enjoyed playing those. Um, then obviously when I started working at the Sentry Box, um, stuff kind of changed rapidly. So I've played a lot more um, Eurocentric style games now. And um, it's a little bit weird. I, I don't do too much um, board gaming with Jill, but we've got a, we've, I have like, um, not only a pitch, but you know, I have my, my patter if I'm talking to customers and like assessing kind of what needs they have. So I'm pretty good at going through like two player games, um, co-op games, like the Arkham Horror um card game kind of stuff i can rattle all of that stuff off um but yeah basically it i had to stop buying games that i really wanted to play and start buying games that jill would enjoy which is more like the euro style games tend to be more accessible because the theme is less of a hook for it so that would be my my one big takeaway for people if you're looking for something that's going to be be more accepted the Euro games are probably the way to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah and I, you know, I think that, you know, when you look at, you know, like what Settlers of Catan did, you know, which is in essence a Euro, you know, it's a resource management Euro style, you know, build the board, score points type game. But you actually brought something up that I was going to ask you guys. So when you look at games, do you look at, do you look at it for a theme or do you look at it for how it plays? And what I mean by that is, you know, when you look at a game like Star Wars Rebellion, you know, are you buying Rebellion for the theme because it's Star Wars or a Marvel game because it's Star Wars or or video games, you know, uh, like the Fallout board games, things like that? Are you buying them because you have... Uh, you know, you have a history with it in another medium, maybe, or do you like the games, you know, or, or do you like to try and play games that don't fall into that um, specific category of subject matter? I've definitely bought games for themes. Zombies is one of my favorite games that would I'd qualify that in like a competitive game because only one person can win the game of zombies. It's super simple to play, easy fun game gets very competitive gets very nasty very quickly during the game especially once the helicopter comes down you know where the exit point is and you have all the people trying to like do their best to outdo their own so i've definitely bought games for themes um i remember a friend of mine um andrew brought over uh the doom board game um which was the only reason i wanted to play it because like oh well it's doom and it's a board game like I, I, it's one of those things like when they, when they translate one property over to the other, sometimes it's a hit and sometimes it's a miss. Because sometimes you definitely get the feeling that the only reason I'm playing this game is because of the picture on the outside of the box. And it kind of feels like Doom or it feels like Star Wars or it feels like something else. But it's the, the mechanics don't really, it's not, it's the mechanics of the game ultimately in the end that come out to it. Um, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I definitely, like I said, leaned towards no, no. I'd have to say that theme is is a big part of it. I want I want to get immersed into the game that you're playing. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of really quick. That's like when you're talking about those Dungeons and Dragons game. 
Yeah, exactly. If, if you want to feel like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons quickly, simply, that's a good place to start. Well, even like the path, like we're talking, if we're, again, we're including the quote unquote deck building, card buildings, you build the deck as you go kind of games. Um, Pathfinder, um, Pizer did a fantastic job with some of their deck building games. Uh, there's a whole bunch of those sets out there that were really, really good that I enjoyed. Um, but again, I got it because it was Pathfinder. It feels like D&D light. It was something that I could introduce my kids to and they could play and they're not necessarily rolling dice and doing things like that in a D&D setting, but they're still kind of playing D&D. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Chris, how about you? Are you a theme or are you a mechanic? I, I like that. I, I definitely go for theme more um, if it's a game that I'm going to buy for me. But unfortunately, I don't buy games for me anymore. I buy games for us, you know, the royal we. Um, so, like, games I, I've been enjoying recently, we got, well, I got sent a review copy of Gutenberg, uh, which, like, the theme for that just seemed terrible. Like, I don't care about, like, 16th, 15th century book binding and printing presses. I'm just not, re- I don't care, you know? Right. I'm not, um, <laughs> But then like we we sat down and worked out all of the different mechanics because it's got like five four or five phases and there's like different aspects of all the different kinds of Euro kind of games. There's like auction mechanics, there's bidding mechanics, uh there's like um set collection, uh all of that kind of stuff in there. And like we we figured out played it and really enjoyed it. We played that a bunch. Um, we like um, Century Spice Road, um, Jarpoor, all of these like um, hand management set collection kind of games. Um, like, what else? Ticket to Ride. You know, all of these like, that's a good like, one. like area control and worker placement stuff. Um, yep. Like, that's the games that I play because that's what. I like playing with Jill, so we like play together. But I I like playing Arkham Horror. I like playing Mountains of Madness. I play, like playing Arkham Horror the LCG. I I'm enjoying playing 40k Crusade more than like, Ed enjoys playing like tournament 40k. So I definitely feel like I'm more of a sucker for a theme. Okay, so for for me, it's really weird with me because so. I've my I've had a lot of weird exposure to games, and kind of like you, Chris. You know, growing up, I started with the Monopolies, Paydays, the Game of Life. When my kids were young, we played a lot of the. When we played games, we played a lot of the Game of Life. And then you had the, you know, the what I call the chunky party games, kind of like Trivial Pursuit. You know, those. You know. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Pictionary. Kind of the 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 games that you wouldn't see at a hardcore game store, you know yeah. those types of games. I also grew up with chess and checkers, and you know, in those types of games, um, which I don't really classify truly as board games per se. Um, but I've also you know played games that are board game style games that kind of fit in an RPG realm too, where you're kind of role playing, you know, your character things like that. But I was just, I was going through, so I'm looking at the, all the games that I have. And it's, it's really weird because I think right now, I think I'm more into a thematic style looking at what I have right now that I can see, you know, I have all of the, I believe I have all of the 
No, I don't. I have three of the Dungeons and Dragons, you know, I have Euros, I have the Star Wars games, I have Outer Rim, Rebellion, um, I have kind of the beer and pretzel-y type games like Castle Panic and, um, you know, more of the um, milder games. And then I have Mage Wars, which is kind of a deck-building game, but it's you're ca- it's kind of like a m- different version of Magic where you're casting spells and moving on a board, you know, and I... I and I'm looking at them, you know, I have trader mechanic games. I have Mansions of Madness, um, Arkham Horror. I have the old Dungeon Dungeon Command games, which are the, uh, which are, it's D&D, but you're playing, there were boxes you bought, and basically your army is in the box, and then you have a, your opponent has a box, and then it's like humans, orcs, uh, undead, the drow, I think, and I'm not sure if they're in with the undead orcs i believe or ogres something like that you know where you have some strategy games too and it's it's interesting kind of where i lie with it and i always think of myself as more of a strategy kind of game but now no i kind of fall into all of the different categories i think with what i own um the next question i have are the new technology board games so board games that are have an app that you play with Ooh. What do you guys feel about those kind of games? Because I know that there are a lot of people that don't like them. I really like Mansions of Madness. Um, so I, it depends to have the giant cop out. Right. For playing something like XCOM, playing the XCOM board game, uh, the app, uh, uh, you need it because it needs to add the stress to make the game what it's supposed to be. Because it's all about like the app just fucking you and the, the time pressure and like having an egg timer wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Exactly. An egg timer? You exactly. sure? <laughs> um, but then I trying to think. At Mansions of Madness, having played the first edition and the second edition, I like the second edition more. Um, and that's with the app, correct? Second with, edition, with the yeah. app, yeah. Um, it's just clean and nice and you know there's no there's, yeah it's just good it's it's just good but in the nicest possible way um having not needing to be the bad guy like when we used to play imperial assault i've never played imperial assault where i got to be a hero i've always had to put control the imperials every time we played yep and that's so, that's why yeah that's why i like the app in that one yeah and that's it. If you don't, if the app doesn't exist, I never ever get to play a hero because right. in my game group, I'm the one who will step up and do the thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like it. Um, there's, there's a level to it though. Like there's some games I've seen when I was at Gamma. Um, the game, uh, it's the North American like trade um show for gaming and stuff like um gen con is like the public facing gamma is the industry facing gotcha. um one and like going to that and so, like some of the games were like there's one where it, it's basically like playing um kind of thing like sim city or something like that where what you but you've got you're basically you're building a colony on a planet it's terraforming Mars, but every piece you put down has a computer inside, has a chip inside it 
which will light if it's if it's drawing power, if it's generating power, and it'll light up and do a thing. Oh, wow. And like you need a computer to control it, you know. And like <laughs> there's an an app that does all of your your card drawing resource management. I'm like, is this something that I would just rather play on the computer? You know what I mean? Like right. the opposite argument to why I don't like TTS or <laughs> um, like Vassal. Is this something where we've gone the other way now? Yeah, I oh. think conceptually, for me, that sounds cool as long as it uh, works correctly. I agree. And like, I didn't get to play it, so I I'm not like commenting on the game. I can't. I'm not gonna put them on blast. But you know what I mean. Right. But um, yeah, it's just a very it's a fine line that the the app has to be enhancing the experience, not replacing it. Right. Which is where I think like Fantasy Flight, I think, has done it correctly. You know, where the app is enhancing the play. In my opinion. The, the app is and the return to dark tower is that way too it uses an app and then the tower is bluetooth connected with the app and then the app is actually controlling the tower but it's you know it's it's actually pretty cool now i didn't get to play it very long I'll, when it gets here i will but it's that experience was definitely positive for me you know i don't think i've had a negative app experience but Ed, how about you? What do you have? You had experience with it? No, unfortunately, I'm going to have to abstain on this, and simply because I've never played a board game that required an app. And whenever you first mentioned it, I kind of went ooh for the same reasons. Like I've not had the experience, so I genuinely don't know. But there's a part of me that's like, oh, an app would kind of take me out of it. I mean, like in the same thought process of what Chris was saying is like, you know, I wanted to enhance the experience, not necessarily to replace the experience. But then you threw out the Dark Tower one, and I'm like, oh, that's right, that is a Bluetooth thing, and I could totally see that being an app for that. So legitimately, I genuinely don't know, and I think it's it's a cop-out answer. It's probably circumstantial. If the app is just there for atmospheric enhancement and kind of helping the game along, but isn't the game itself, probably cool. But if there's a lot more of the in-app experience instead of on-the-board experience, probably not so cool for me. But again, having no experience, uh, I don't know. I can tell you what my knee-jerk, those are my knee-jerk reactions of what I would have thought. I think, to me, the way the app is, is it's taking the place of the adversary, you know? So, like Chris was talking about Imperial Assault, you know? That's a four versus one. You need five players to really make it work really well, but one has to be the adversary, you know, normally. Sure, I could totally see, like, if legitimately, if it's the... Well, one person has to sit down and always be the either the game runner or and like I don't get to play. I'm helping other people play the game. I could totally see that is if the, but again, it depends on how much of is how much of the game is restricted to not restricted is driven by isn't even the right word. How do I how much interaction with the app is required or is it just something that it chooses the next action and then the rest of the play is on the board kind of thing again? I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes sense. Have you played um, Mario Party? No, like, like, on, like the Wii? Like the, like, or, or the N64 or the... Yes, like, yes. We absolutely have done that. Is, is that the accumulation of a board game app? Is that where it, it leads to? 
Because it's that's a board game. That's the idea of a game is to move your character around the board to get collect the things and get to the get okay. your three stars and go to a place at the end. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. Today, amongst uh, I think uh, maybe in the pregame show, I don't know if I was talking about it in the pregame or or uh, on show, but we were talking about what we've been doing in gaming. I had just recently fired up the Raspberry Pi and we were playing some Atari games, but one of my daughters. My youngest daughter's favorite games of all time is the NES version of Monopoly. We've played other versions of Monopoly and other board. She likes playing board games on uh, on a game system. Um, but of all the versions that she has ever played, the NES version is her favorite. And you can add computer opponents to that game. So there's a part of that that's kind of fun in the fact that if I have no one to play with or I don't want to be the one, I don't want to be the banker. Someone doesn't have to be the one, like, negotiating the trades and stuff like that. You're playing a board game, but you're doing it with the... How nice would that be to be able to be, like, to just toss in two, quote-unquote, computer players to play on a board game? So, yeah, I can kind of see that. So, like, if that is an interesting analogy, because you are correct in the fact that it's basically a board game that you're playing on, a, uh, on the Wii, or on the Wii for our version of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. And and then my final question, because you know we're getting on to, you know, getting close to two hours, and you know, we we don't want to hit three, hopefully. Um, as we often do, yeah, you know. Yeah. Do you think we have an extra hour of sleep tonight, Sean? It's gonna be like it's a free hour. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about Andor. How's that? <laughs> I still haven't finished it yet, so I'm gonna like I do. Uh... I'm going to, I told you. I think you it's got to be its own show again, Sean. Like we'll we'll do I it in. That was my. That was a joke. Yeah, that, that was. But like, I mean, we we can t- touch on the conversation we had if you want to, like the uh, the message conversation we had. I don't think there's any spoilers or anything in that. No, but, no. But like, yeah, I, I'm just happy at the minute. I'm really happy about uh, not even Andor, and and if anything. I was disappointed with Tales of the Jedi because it wasn't Tales of the Jedi. It was Tales of Ahsoka and Tales of Dooku. And I didn't realize that that was the case. That's what I was afraid of. Because, And maybe it's just me. I go back to the original Dark Horse comics that were coming out for Star Wars way before they came under the umbrella of Marvel and Disney. And Tales of the Jedi for me is ancient, ancient Jedi. But it's not it, that was fine, if you know what I mean. But um, it was more. Um, I just thought would be. I did. I knew it was six episodes. I didn't think it was going to be three stories about one person and three stories about another. I thought Ahsoka gets one, Dooku gets one, and then four others we don't know about. But oh, I mean, that, that was not... me just being wrong. I think there's going like, to be a season two on that too. Yeah, but but, but so what my point is that I realized pretty early on that I was wrong and my wasn't going to meet my hopes and expectations. And you know what I did? I just enjoyed it anyway. Yep. Good. It, it yeah. was weird. Like, and oh, it was having not just a conversation we had with Sean and like, just a lot of thought going into, you know, you know what? Maybe this just isn't for me and maybe that's okay. And that just that being something that I'm kind of normalizing in my life now. Like seeing Evie enjoy stuff that's like definitely made for kids, and I'm like, you know, uh, I probably don't need to be interested in this because it's not for me. 
but you know yeah. so real quick let, let's finish up the 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 main topic real quick yeah so i have one more so, question so do you feel that we're hitting that point kind of like you have with movies where we're retelling the same stories you know or, or using the same mechanics over and over and over in board gaming like you know you see the the pandemic you know that pan the co-op pandemic what are they called what's that called the legacy that legacy game for pandemic where now it's spilling over into star wars world and you see the deck builder uh, mechanic being used over and over and over and you know do do you think that we're running into a point where originality in board games and is going to be farther far and few between when new board games come out hmm. um i don't think so like i've got um like so touching on the like star wars the clone wars is i think the game you'd, you're referencing when you say star right. wars pandemic yeah and i think that that's just taking a system that works and putting a different skin on it that's not like new like unfathomable because that's easy to say is yep. basically a reskin of Battlestar Galactica because they didn't want to pay for a license. This is right. just the other way around. They have the license, so why not swap it on the game? Like if it happens to have been like changed enough and like works, I, I have no problem. I don't think it's like new or a detriment or any more of a detriment to the industry than it always has been. I think uh, swapping a, a different skin with a, a few theme. Uh, changes uh, to uh, fit in with a license is fine as long as it's done well. And from all, like, by all accounts, um, Star Wars: The Clone Wars is actually a good game. Like, yeah, um, I, I've I've just heard of it so far. I haven't seen it played. So, and, and I haven't actually played any of the legacy games beyond um, Shadowrun. Is kind of a legacy, you know, deck builder type game. Um, Trying to think what else. Um Gloomhaven is a legacy style deck builder game. Kind you know, yeah, in I, essence. Arkham, I, Arkham the card game, you put is effectively legacy because playing the last game affects your next game. Like that's all legacy means is that like it, it, it just each continues. time you play it, the last time you played it has an impact on the next time you play it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like an ongoing story per se, but um it has that kind of feel of what happened last time does have a bearing on it. So you can play something like Risk Legacy, where you play and then if someone irradiates part of the world, you probably don't want to start there next time you play because, spoilers, it's irradiated now. And yeah. You know what I mean? It's all of that yeah. kind of stuff. But, and and, and yeah. I'm not just talking Legacy, you know, I'm talking like the, you know, the the Dominion, Ascension, you know, all the different deck builders. And, you know, it's, to me, it's, you know, you put a game out, you know, and it looks interesting, I'll try it, you know. And if you put a game out and it's interesting and I like it, I'll probably potentially buy it, even though I'll probably never get it off my shelf. I'll probably buy it anyway. The one you know? thing I would say is that like, when I started at the store, like, there might have been maybe 80-ish, like, proper releases a year. And, like, now there's, like, thousands of games coming out every year. Yeah. And, like... And and that's not even Kickstarter, is it? No, like, we 
we back Kickstarters that have retail options that we think will sell and stuff like that. But yeah, like just publishers are putting out like um, multiple games a month, and it is a lot. Like a lot of it is um, variations on a theme or expansions and and stuff like that. But it's very easy to get lost in the market now. But yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, I. I feel like, like, do you think have the staying power? Like, there's a part of me that that there's content for content. Like, we we all just routed off a bunch of games that you could go out probably right now and buy, with the exception of like Kickstarter versions of Return to the Return to Dark Tower, because that was an old, old, old legacy game that isn't around anymore. I know there's the new Hero Quest. Uh, Chris, you have that, if I'm not mistaken, the new version of Hero Quest that's out there. Um, But like all the other games, I think that we've routed off are still in current print. Like you can go out. like the the in my opinion they're like evergreen game settlers of Catan you could throw a rock in your neighborhood and find like ten people who are either secretive or overtly Catan players like they're out there they're all out there but so how many of those thousands of games that are getting produced reach that level that that echel- that upper echelon of this is a game that's going to be around for a long time because it can't um, be that many. Like especially at that volume. I mean, you look at you look at games how quickly games go out of print, you know, because they'll do a print run. You know, a good example of that is Shadows Over Camelot. It's I believe a Days of Wonder game, and you know you can't buy it. You 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 can't go out and buy it. even though it's a Days of Wonder game. You can't buy it. But you know, I I think that that happens to in this industry a lot because there are so many variations of games you know it falls back to the question of almost theme you know are they hitting the right themes when they're putting these games out you know things that'll interest people you know can you can you put out a marvel game because that's a big you know a big subject matter today or can you put out you know for a while there battlestar galactica had a pretty good footprint you know when it was in its heyday and now to buy battlestar galactica and and especially the the expansions, you're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars off the secondary they're, market. They're hard to find now. I yeah, sold I, my I, copy for like fifty bucks because I just uh, I would if I didn't get rid of it, I would have bought Pegasus, and I didn't want to spend like three hundred dollars. So it was right. I sold it for fifty bucks instead of a hundred, but I saved myself two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I didn't lose fifty. I gained two hundred and fifty. I, I I call that I call that wife math. That's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um. Yeah. Like the the thing is like will the release of Unfathomable affect the popularity and the like that used market price of Battlestar? Probably yeah. not, because like, the people who want Battlestar want Battlestar to have Battlestar. Yeah. It's like I have chaos in the old world, but back there, pretty much unbunched, I think, because you need four people to play it really. And our gaming group is normally between three and five, generally, never four. Right. So I, I could go out and find the Horn Rat expansion, but again, I, I either have to buy it with the game and then spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars, or I'm spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to find it new somewhere. So right. I just don't don't have it, but I don't let it like bother me. Um, generally, 
I kind of focus on the games that I think I can play just with normal people. That's what uh, mm, what I spend my money good. on now. Don't buy games to play with gamers because they're all fucking losers. Buy games to play with normal people. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to play games with me, so. <laughs> um. But yeah, I don't. I don't know why any game needs the staying power because I don't think that that's how they're designed, and I don't think people are trying to find the next Catan. I think people are trying to sell out the print run and move on to the next one because you want to be a games designer so you need to be selling multiple games over and over again yeah but doesn't that also include like <laughs> reprints and selling the, like do you, do you know what i mean like i i, I get what you're saying you're right so, okay so what it, if what what you what do you do if you make a, if you make Catan, do you stop making games now? Are you done? No, of course not. But it does behoove a printing company to have that shitty oh, revenue stream. But see, this is a different story though, isn't it? Because we're talking saying, about you're, you're, people designing games or the company or as yeah. they you're looking at it as, you know, are there residuals on games? You know, it's if you self-publish a game, then your goal is to sell every copy of that game. Because you know, the second you do a second print run, you're yeah, that's a bigger gamble than the first one. Than the first, right? Because, because you have you have to hope that IP or whatever your product is is a, you know a wide cast net for people to want to buy. Ah, uh, that's true. Well, so if you think about it, if you managed to if you printed twenty thousand copies of a game, that's a relatively large print run if you're an independent publisher. Um. If you manage to send sell ten thousand of those to trade, and you sell eight thousand to people, you've only got two thousand copies left. So, like, depending on how fast they're selling, you need to think about doing a print run. Then, yeah. how many do you get reprinted? Because are you do you know if and the machines like, up and all that? Yeah, but like, are you gonna get ten thousand trade orders? Right for that for that second print run. Or do they still have a bunch of a first print run? Yeah, that's a good point. But I think it also comes down to, when you're looking at it that way too, I think it comes down to, you know, just like anything else, things are hot for a period of time, and then it slows down because everybody that liked your product bought your product or has a friend that bought the product so that they can play the product. And now you have to decide, is your product worth, you know, doing again? Or would it be? Would you be better off producing something new? You know, putting something else out. You know, spend the time and money and effort on designing a new game. You know, it's. I think game designing is a gigantic crapshoot, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. You know, and and, and independence, and you got to remember, you have independence, and then you have the companies like Fantasy Flight that hires game designers. You know, so those people, when they walk away from Fantasy Flight, they never see any residual or anything. They got a paycheck for what they did day to day. Where if you're an independent, you're literally banking on sales because if not, you know, whatever your company is, is probably going to go out of business if you don't sell enough. Because, you know, if you don't exceed your investment, then you've definitely lost money. And now you're stuck because now you don't have 
new money. That's why that's why Kickstarter, I think, is so how do I want to put this? It's so prevalent today because it's easy. You're having other people fund your stuff. Yeah. Well, you and know exactly how big to make your print run. Exactly. Exactly. And exactly. the the problem with, with Kickstarter on an industry perspective is that it destroys um any chance of there being um a real retail chain. I you right. don't have designers, manufacturers, distributors, retailers and customers. You have designers and customers because if I if a Kickstarter so um so Wade Pache's game is on Kickstarter, I believe, at the moment. I was yeah. gonna mention that. I saw yeah. that. Um so I backed that myself, but I can't get the store to back it because I mean, potentially quite quite correctly, everyone who wants to buy Wade's games back with Kickstarter. Right. So who you're relying on as a store, I I I'm gonna have to charge more than the Kickstarter was. So like do you want to pay double but be able to only pay it in a year's time? Or would you rather pay half now and get it in a year's time? Right. It right. it's a bit a huge gamble for a store to back a Kickstarter because everyone who wants it and is excited for it has already bought it. Right. And the only people that you're gonna get are the people that miss the Kickstarter. Yeah. And, and then it like <sighs> Is the game going to build enough hype? Have a big enough player base? Right, it's very hard. Right, the uh, so let, let's think about it. So, Song of Ice and Fire uh, was a Kickstarter. Um, so this is a miniatures game. Um, it took probably a year from to get all of the Kickstarter stuff out, uh, as in like retail product and retail releases. Um, then. They released two armies that weren't in the Kickstarter, and the game was still pretty small. Like this is obviously anecdotal local stuff. Now, uh, it's four or five years on from, like maybe three or four years on from a Kickstarter now, and the game's really popular and like sells really well because there's a bunch of factions. All of the content now wasn't out or wasn't in the Kickstarter, so now it's worth stocking as a store. But like that first year was pretty fucking rough. Right, right, and that it, it's that unknown. It's going out into that yeah. unknown and not really knowing how well it is or isn't going to do. Yeah, there's there are things about this too that kind of irk me, but I get why they're doing it. But you know, Hasbro has their own Kickstarter thing that they do. Hasbro Pulse, that's what the Kickstarter yeah. was on. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they do this stuff. You know, like the one I'm looking at that I won't back, but it's the hero. Remember the old Hero Escape game? Yes, it was. You know, probably one of the best minis games to get into minis games ever made. And now they're putting it back there. So they want to start it up again, but they're doing it on their, what is it, Hasbro? What was that again? Pulse. Yeah, their Hasbro Pulse, where they're charging an arm and a leg for less stuff than you got for half the price in the original set back when it came out. And it's not painted like, you know, like it, the original stuff was. And it's like, you know, I they're trying to restart a, what was a popular product, but then, you know, the product died out for some reason. So why do they want to bring it back? It's and in the way that they're doing it. 
that's where I think Kickstarter is bad, you know, or that method is bad because, you know, everybody that I have seen when I've seen it come up on feeds and stuff, everybody's just rips it that, you know, there's, it's a lesser product than, than what you got, you know, way back when, when you were buying HeroScape. Yeah, that's fair. You know, and of course, you know, all the, like I said, all those models were painted. So who wants to go and buy this, you know, for their kids or whatever for 200 and some bucks and then have to sit down and paint them, hmm. you know, talking to the wrong think, crowd here. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, maybe I could do that. But what I'm but I'm saying the average person, you know, you're buying it for your kids because you had it either when you were a kid or, you know, or you played it with somebody back then, but now you're getting it. And it, it's kind of like Chris said, you know, they started out the song of ice and fire and same thing with rune wars. I thought rune wars was a great game, but they, you know, put out too too few of factions at the beginning. Now, of course, fantasy flight footed that bill you know, whoever footed the bill to put the game out, but it failed because there just wasn't enough for the game at the time. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's all I have for topic tonight. Do you guys have anything else you'd want to add on the back end of this topic before we close out the show? No, this was a good one. This was oh. fun. A little outside the box kind of stuff that we normally do. I like that. Yeah. Who's up that's next? What... Is it is it a Chris show next time? It is a Chris show next time. Are you oh, going to give us a preview? Are you going to hold off and... Well, I would love breath. to give you a preview if I'd have thought of what I want to talk about next time. We'll see, oh. you know. I've got a I've got a fun idea for my next one. I'm kind of curious to see how it goes. It's a little different format than we're used to, but I am kind of curious to see how it goes. So I suppose while we're into closing, I do have something we can close on. So what I did for the Legion podcast is I did um, a Google document and then just gave Alan and Zach access to it. So like we all have a couple of topic ideas and like expand on it and type shit up in there. So like we could do that for this one, just have a Google Doc and like have the schedule on there for whose show it is. And obviously if we want to drop the surprise one, we can just put like surprise in there. But then right, right. kind of start building out and thinking about it further in advance and stuff as well. So I can do that for us as well if you like. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. I agree. Yeah. Um but yeah, being like organized, making it a real thing and everything. That's that's kind of scary, but yeah, that'd be a good idea. I'm afraid now. Um, but yeah, that's it. I suppose I could do the closing stuff if you want, Sean. Or um sure, sure. Yep. Yeah, so um thank you to all the patrons. It's been a really big help this month because I just spent like money again buying materials and things. So um hopefully stuff will hit the web store and I'll be able to help out. Um I don't believe anyone reached out to let me know about um, uh, evade tokens. So if anyone's missing their evade tokens and wants them, please send me an email and um, I'll make sure they get dispatched. Um, if you're in the UK, you know, sucks to have a postal strike. We'll see what we can do to get them to you in this millennium. But mm -hmm. um, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, um, the Dice patrons picked up, obviously, after we closed down the Lack of Focus patron. So that's been really, uh, really helpful. And I, I'm always thankful that anyone uh, supports the show enough. I've been really happy on uh, Discord with uh, a number of just like random topics. I've been trying to post, like, be more up to date and proactive on posting all the X-Wing news. 
on them that's been coming out. So if people want to start sharing other other stuff, every time like something gets posted that's like something new and shiny, we have a conversation like spurts up a little bit. So if there was any Games Workshop news that Ed wanted to, you know, just throw in there and sprinkle in through there. Yeah. Um, but that's been cool. Um I might be able to figure out streaming again theoretically sometime soon. Um kind of getting a routine now. It's been a few weeks since Jill's mum and dad have been gone. Um and like we're kind of getting into our own little routine. Obviously every week it is another week older. So um, you know, we're getting the uh, just cry a lot. Cries a lot. <laughs> I mean she doesn't. She cries a normal amount, but it just hammers home how good Evie was and how unprepared for normal parenthood I am. Um, I don't mean, you yeah. have that one child that spoils you. Yeah, and it's always the first one. Uh, for us, I'd love to agree with you. For us, it was uh, my youngest daughter. She was the one that spoiled us because she was the one that actually um, was the easy child. The rest of them were the challenging ones. So maybe you got it in reverse. Well, generally, you have to get in reverse because if the first one's a little shit bike, you're never going to do that again, are you? <laughs> yeah, we were dumb. Yeah. Oh, this was the worst thing ever. Uh, well, shall we do it again? Fuck no. <laughs> See, maybe we got to do it until we get a good kid. Yeah, uh, keep going until you get the, get the right one. Oh, it's yep. good. It's good. Um, I I was very, um, very sentimental and mushy i was looking at through my google uh, google drive pictures um a couple of nights ago for all that joe had gone to bed it was just me up i was going through looking at all the baby pictures of evie trying to line up like that's when we started doing this and like comparing it to ayla and like ayla's like looks exactly like evie did at that age now and yeah so yeah. i was very sentimental going back looking at baby pictures Mine did the same thing to me the other day. Let's see if I could find it. For it was um, we've done a lot of the daddy daughter dances, so like, and apparently they all are in and around the same time of year. So like, I got like seven pictures of like daddy daughter dances from like way back whenever Delilah was really really small, and then all the way to the most recent ones. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, I forgot what I was talking about now. Quotes uh, in the show, isn't it? Um. Yeah, I'm behind on editing um, Heresy Cast uh, because um, I'm just terrible and uh, feel like punishing Ed for talking too much uh, on uh, 40k topics. That one, wasn't my, that one wasn't my show, so I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, uh, but it, it's coming. That'll they'll probably drop at the same time again. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with um, X-Wingy stuff, but I'll kind of figure... If me and Zach have got to do a solo show, we'll probably sort something out there. And I've been itching and like coming up with ideas and different things, so I'm I'm kind of getting to be in a, a place where I might be able to start doing bigger and more content again. I told you, I definitely told you guys about me painting the Gark's accent and not hitting record, didn't I? Yep, I told totally that, did. Yeah, I told that. Totally story, did. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see if I can remember to hit record when I paint this um, Orc boss on Squig. But that, I was supposed to paint him today so I could go and play games with him tomorrow. But it looks like I'm probably not going to go and play games tomorrow and I'll paint him tomorrow instead. So I might try and play a game on Tuesday. We'll see. So if I paint him tomorrow, I'll try and either stream it or record it or both. 
and uh, we'll go from there. And that'll be, by tomorrow, I obviously mean three days ago. Uh, right. Yeah, that's that's it for me. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Heretic, uh, thanks for joining us this week. Always happy to be here. Where else would you rather be? <laughs> in our in our resident game master. Always good to uh, have you. I, I would love to be a game master, but you know, Ed didn't set anything up for playing games or anything. He said, Oh, I really want to play D D or do something, and then I I I do just sat and waited, bated breath. I do. And Ed, I do, and Ed was do. like, you know, you know what? But Chris. It was a shit DM. I don't want to play Traveler with not, him. I'm not going to set is, anything up. That is not what I thought. It's legitimately, you just told, I just told you, like, I've been exhausted these last two weeks. <laughs> I know. It's fine, because it meant I, I didn't have to do anything, and I probably didn't have time anyway, so it's fine. I'm just And I wasn't, I wouldn't have thrown that on your shoulders either. I know that, like, I know the plight of being the the perpetual DM you never actually get to play the game. You always have to be the one running the game. And sometimes you just want to show up and roll dice. I get it. Yeah. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Well, I just want to thank everyone for joining us for this week's, uh, or this this show for uh, Lack of Focus. And uh, hopefully everyone will come back for the next one. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to a Lack of Focus podcast brought to you by Dice Productions.